Act One of The Weaker Sex by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play Ira Lee, read by Thomas Peter. Lady Vivesh, read by Sonia. Sylvia, her daughter, read by Jen Broda. Dudley Silchester, read by Adrian Stevens. Mrs. Boyle Chewton, read by Matea Bracic. Rhoda, her daughter, read by Ashley Jane. Mr. Bargus, M.P., read by Todd. Lord Gillingham, read by Alan Mapstone. Lady Gillingham, read by The Story Girl. Lady Liptrot, read by Abai. The Honourable George Liptrot, read by Greg Giordano. Mr. Holly Hill, read by Andrew Gantz. Mrs. Holly Hill, read by Kelly Taylor. Mr. Wade Green, read by Linda Olsen Feitak. Petch, servant at Mrs. Boyle Chewton's read by dave courier spencer servant at lord gillingham's read by david purdy stage directions read by michael max the first act rights and wrongs at mrs boyle chewton's regent's park the second act the love that lives at lord gillingham's kensington the third act mother and daughter at Mrs. Boyle Chewton's again. The Weaker Sex The First Act The scene is in the library in Mrs. Boyle Chewton's house in Sussex Gardens, Regent's Park, the windows opening onto the garden and giving a view of the ornamental water beyond. The room is handsomely but rather gloomily furnished and books and newspapers are scattered everywhere, the whole place wearing a busy aspect. On one wall is a large printed poster, as follows. Union of Independent Women. A great public meeting, under the auspices of the Union, will be held at the St. Simon's Hall, Piccadilly, on Monday, May 5th. Having for its object a demonstrative assertion of the rights of women to share the privileges and penalties of the other sex in all spheres of life. The chair will be taken at eight o'clock by Mrs. E. Boyle Chewton, MLSB. The following speakers will address the meeting. Lady Vivash, Mrs. Anna W. Perkin from Montreal, Mrs. McCostrich, Mrs. Ork, Mrs. Klimber Boosby and Mr. Bargus, MP for Skipping Moulton, who will take the opportunity to declare his adherence to a mighty and irresistible movement. All are invited. Women, bring decent, rational, thinking men. No infants. Mrs. Boyle Chewton, a woman of about forty, with a not unpleasing face but a rigid personality, her hair worn straight and short, 
and her costume severe, dowdy and ungainly, sits writing at one end of a writing-table, while at the other her daughter Rhoda, a pretty girl of about nineteen, dressed in the same fashion, dozes with a pen in her hand, but hidden from her mother by the stationery cabinet. Mrs. Boyle Tewton, taking up the letter she has been writing and surveying it critically. I think I make myself understood. Listen, Rhoda, I have thought it expedient to adapt myself to this pugilistic person's phraseology. Reading. Mrs. E. Boyle Tewton accepts the offer of Mr. Robert Saunders of Endell Street, Bloomsbury, to supply her with four chuckers out for the great meeting to-night at the St. Simon's Hall. A chucker out, my dear Rhoda, is Mr. Saunders's definition of a person who ejects disorderly characters. Resuming. Mrs. Boyle Tewton does not think five shillings a knob at all exorbitant, but must decline the preferred services of Mrs. Robert Saunders, for, while fully grasping Mr. Saunders's assurance that his wife is upon a physical equality with ten men and a boy, Mrs. Boyle Tewton doubts whether this particular branch of enterprise should be included in woman's furthest ambitions. Um, yes. That provides for any fractitious opposition, I think. Enclosing and addressing the letter. Have you copied the plan of tonight's proceedings? Impatiently. Rhoda! Discovering that Rhoda is asleep. Good gracious! Rhoda, you're asleep? Rhoda, waking with a start. Oh, I... I must have closed my eyes. I am ashamed of you. I beg your pardon, Mamma. It is the heat, I think. Heat? It will be hotter at the meeting. You've no enthusiasm. I have been sitting since eight o'clock this morning. I gobbled my breakfast. Something her chest. I can feel it here now. I'm not surprised. You had four cutlets. I have been sitting upon two eggs. Rhoda, giving Mrs. Boyle-Tewton a paper. There, the plans are finished. Petch, a middle-aged woman-servant, grim and shapeless, enters the room. Mr. Silchester. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Dudley Silchester, a fashionably dressed, handsome, bearded man of about forty, enters breezily. Dudley, kissing Mrs. Boyle-Tewton. Good morning, Edith. Good morning, Brother Dudley. Dudley, kissing Rhoda. Well, Rhoda, dear? Well, Uncle Dud? Mrs. Boyle Tewton, giving letter and plan to Petch. That letter by cab to Endell Street. Lay the paper on the committee room table. Petch goes out. Dudley to Rhoda. You look tired. Hush. I dare say we all look tired, Dudley. You know what tonight is? I think Monday night. Mrs. Boyle Tewton, waving her hand towards the bill. The night of our great meeting. Dudley, looking at the bill. Oh, yes, of course. A great meeting. Sorry, an old engagement to play whist at the club will prevent my... It suggests the circus. 
I call those names. Yes, I dare say other people will call them names in the course of the evening. It will be a monster meeting. What's that? A meeting of monsters? Dudley, if you come to my house merely to... Beg pardon, Edith? Producing a letter. I dropped in to show you this. Mrs. Boyle Tewton, opening the letter. Rhoda, your uncle is offered the appointment of consul at Palermo. What a very excellent thing. Through whom? Lord Gillingham, I fancy. Ah, Lady Vivash, dear Mary, must have gained his influence for you. Oh, I'm so glad, Uncle Dud. And so sorry. Six hundred pounds a year. That's more than your services are worth, Dudley. Yes, or ever will be. Why, you're surely not going to... Accept it? Certainly not. Refuse it? when you've never done a real stroke of work in your life. Never had anybody to work for. You've had yourself. Oh, everybody's had me at one time or another. I don't reckon myself. The epitaph of every wasted career. Why not go to Palermo? Can't get away just now. You've nothing to do in London. That's it. If I had, I should be glad to go to Palermo. I know. I can read you like a book, Brother Dudley. I'm sure you can, Sister Edith. The intelligent world has read me like a book for at least the last quarter of a century. It has read me, thumbed me, cut me, ah, yes, cut me, and made brutal marginal notes upon me until I am the soiled, dog-eared volume so out of keeping with your immaculate library. Rhoda, leave me with your uncle for a few moments. Yes, Mama. Have mercy, Edith. To Rhoda. Keep within earshot in case I shriek for assistance. Rhoda goes out into the garden, where for a while she is seen at intervals walking to and fro, reading. Dudley, you will decline to go to Palermo because you are still hankering after your old sweetheart, Lady Vivash. If I'm wrong, say no. Dudley reflects for a moment, smilingly looks at Mrs. Boyle Tewton, and then, without a word, drops into an armchair. Ah, I thought so. Dudley, of all the extravagant, hopeless passions man ever had for woman, your attachment to my old schoolfellow and present colleague, Mary Vivash, is the most senseless my mind can grasp. My dear Edith... A respectful affection, which commenced on my side for your schoolmate Mary Norbury, as she then was, about twenty years ago, is hardly deserving of such severe stricture. It has at least the merit of antiquity. Give it as much respect as you would afford an Anglo-Roman tumulus or an ancient Greek coin. It began most absurdly. It began by my bringing English toffee to the little pension at Bruges, where you were monitress, and Mary Norbury, a child of fifteen, was fourth scholar. I thought it was ridiculous then. You took your share of that toffee, and oh, what toffee! Life has given me since nothing so sweet as that cooked sugar, 
we portioned out twenty years ago on the side paths of those old canals and then dudley after all all that toffee tons of it after all she refused you um in favour of a brighter better cleverer fellow my friend philip lister and philip lister she quarrelled with marrying old lord vivash a month afterwards in a fit of mad rage he's gone thank goodness yes and she's had enough of marriage to last her a lifetime she hasn't told me that my dear brother even if she did think of marrying again her mind would go back to whom do you imagine i thought perhaps to to you fiddlesticks to her only real love philip lister whose heart she broke where is he in heaven for all we know nonsense you men don't go there so surely you see my dear dudley you haven't a ghost of a chance besides your conduct is cruel to me my dear edith you know what i have at heart the advancement of women from the rear to the van dudley nervously putting on his gloves yes i think edith before you've explained our recruit lady vivash supplies the impetus this great movement requires she is now a strong self-reliant fine-minded creature she is she's still young brilliant and enthusiastic that's true with beauty as a title which oughtn't to count but it does i should think so since she has thrown her soul with us we have not only doubled our women supporters but we are securing fickle fluctuating flabby men are you and now when she has taken up her abode under my roof and is a necessity to our cause to see you idling here nursing your old affection like a dilettante with a cracked china jar it must be most distracting to her as it is annoying to me cracked jar you are right it is cracked only the scent of the roses or the smell of the ginger or whatever was in it will linger dash it it will linger lady vivash a beautiful woman of about thirty-five dressed with the most rigid simplicity but without any sacrifice of grace or dignity enters quickly from the garden at what time is the committee dear giving her hand pleasantly to dudley how do you do mr silchester we are gloriously busy you have come to scoff of course committee at one there's half an hour yet have any of our ladies arrived i think so indeed i saw some galoshes in the hall as i came in i wear galoshes in the damp weather perhaps they are mine perhaps i didn't know at first whether they were galoshes what did you take them for gondolas oh writing busily after all the size of a woman's foot is quite immaterial a woman doesn't carry her heart in her boots she does if you say boo in the dark that's your opinion of women not mine because you're not a man i wish i were for a month 
I dare say you do. A jolly month you'd have of it. Dudley! What I mean, my dear Edith, is that a month would enable dear Lady Vivash to taste the sweets and not the bitters of manhood, to wrench, as it were, the door-knocker of adolescence without paying the forty shillings of maturity. I have been a grown man for twenty years out of my forty, and the result is that I wish sincerely— You wish you had been born a woman? No, a quadruped. A beast is short-lived. Patch enters. Mr. Bargus is in the committee room. Oh, here's Mr. Bargus. Dudley, how fortunate you are. You shall make his acquaintance. To Patch. Ask Mr. Bargus to come here. Patch goes out. Bargus? Who's Bargus? You don't read your parliamentary reports, Dudley. Never. Mr. Bargus is the new member for the Skipping Molten Division of Cuddleford. We have secured him. Secured him? Is he a very violent MP? He is young, as a politician, a mere infant. We have undertaken, as it were, to nurse him, to form his ideas. Kind of political baby farmers. As you please. We women need help in the house. Wouldn't a charwoman? In the House of Commons, we want a lever to raise the mountain of prejudice. We looked about us, and our eye rested upon... upon... The member for the Skipping Molten Division of Cuddleford. Rhoda enters quickly, thinking Dudley is alone. Oh, Uncle Dud, here's that ridiculous little Bargus. Rhoda! Oh, Mamma! Ridiculous Bargus? To whom do you allude? I am afraid I meant Mr. Bargus, Mamma. I... I have taken rather a... not a fancy to Mr. Bargus. Patch announces Mr. Bargus. Bargus enters. He is a chubby little gentleman of about forty, with a foolish face and a large development of forehead and his fair hair worn in tight little curls all over his head, giving him the appearance of a middle-aged Cupid. My dear Mr. Bargus, your name was on our lips. Very gratified. Are you armed for the fray tonight? I think so. I rehearsed my speech yesterday to an invalid cousin with most gratifying results. Good morning, Lady Vibash. Good morning, Miss Juton. Catching Dudley's eye and bowing. An enthusiast, I hope? Mr. Silchester, Mr. Clarence Bargus. How do you do? How do you do? You're nervous about tonight, this big meeting, eh? Funky, just a little? It's an ordeal. A friend of mine, interested in women, had two reticules and a vinaigrette thrown at him last week at a barnjuster. Dabbing his brow with his handkerchief. Lady Vivash to Dudley. Great head, isn't it? Big head? One of the biggest I've ever seen. He's the son of Bargus, the large weaver. Large weaver? That accounts for it. Of course he's timid and provincial at present, 
but he'll float. That head ought to keep him up. Couldn't you get a more imposing champion? We have others who are different-looking, but Mr. Vargas is all our own. Joins Mrs. Borchewton and Vargas. Oh, I don't want any. To Rhoda. So you don't cotton to the political baby, Rhoda? No. You won't say anything if I tell you something funny about him, will you? Honour bright. Do you know that when Mamma and Lady Vivash are not looking, little Vargas, he... he... Well? He does his best to flirt with me. Oh, the forward infant! I should like to do my best to slap him. Oh, no, don't. I hate little Vargas, but I'm wretchedly dull here. Nobody ever comes to the house but gentlemanly women and zoological-looking men. Even Vargas is a relief. Vargas to Lady Vivash and Mrs. Borchewton. I have plunged into this great subject of women after anxious deliberation. I looked about me in the house, and I saw every man metaphorically waving a banner. One member is for everything, another is against everything. One is for opening everything on a Sunday, another is for closing everything always. I said to myself, Vargas, what are you going to do to repay the confidence of 8,570 constituents of the Skipping Bolton Division of Carlford? And in answer came the flapping of wings and your voices, ladies, saying, Inscribe the word woman upon your banner and march forth. Oh, Mr. Vargas, are you going to say anything like that tonight? Vargas, dabbing his forehead. Well, that's a little bit out of what I am going to say tonight. Rhoda, to Dudley, pointing out of window. Why, look at those Gibson girls out there playing lawn tennis they have spotted noses i know but i envy them to the frocks they wear the partners that feed them with strawberries and cream the dances the theatres everything they lead girls lives tush your turn will come will it what about Lady Vivash's child, Sylvia, who is younger than I, and travelling in Italy with Lady Gillingham? Italy, fancy, is her turn to come? Without ever having seen Sylvia Vivash, I detest her. Hush, she's a mere child. Which I've never been. I've always been a woman with rights. Oh, Uncle Dudley, I've a big right to be very, very miserable. Patch enters. The committee's here. Mrs. McOstrich, Mrs. Boosby, and Mrs. Ock. Thank you, Peck. Mr. Vargas, pray follow me. Lady Vivash, please. Rhoda, bring the minute book into the committee room. Patch goes out, then Mrs. Boyle Tewton. Rhoda is following with an immense book which she has taken from the writing-table when Vargas stops her. Miss Juton, will you allow me? Taking the book from her. Oh, thank you, Mr. Vargas. May I ask you if you are fond of flowers, Miss Juton? If so, I should much like... 
I'm very fond of them. But Mamma says wearing flowers is frivolous and unhealthy. Oh, well then, Miss Juton, if tonight my speech happens to develop some trifling little oratorical blossoms, will you wear them in your memory, Miss Juton? Dudley, watching them. Hmm, getting over that nervousness, Mr. Bargus? Fairly, sir. Thank you. Thought so. Bargus goes out, followed by Rhoda. Lady Vivash, who has been looking into the garden, crosses to the door. Goodbye, Mr. Silchester. Lady Vivash, will you spare me a moment? You won't ask me for more, will you? Dudley, handing her the letter which Mrs. Boyle Chewton has read. I think I have to thank you for that. Lady Vivash, reading the letter. Oh, the offer of the consulship at Palermo. I am so glad. Returning him the letter. I did indeed suggest to Lord Gillingham that if he knew of anything that would... that would... That would get an idle, troublesome old friend out of your way. I am sorry I have hurt you, Mr. Silchester. You do want me to go, then? I think it would be better for you. I couldn't go alone. Isn't Griggs with you still? My servant, yes. But somehow, when Griggs has brushed my coat and my hat and played with my boot-trees for half an hour every morning, there's still a sense of loneliness in life. She turns away from him, leaning against the mantelpiece. Mary! Mary! Lady Vivash, after a pause. Yes? Come with me to Palermo. Thank you very much, but your sister Edith and I are so engrossed in our work here that we can't take a holiday just now. It isn't part of my suggestion that we should disturb Edith. I think I must go into the committee room. Dudley, standing before her, clasping his hands. Mary, do, do marry me. I have waited. I am your oldest friend. Make me your newest love. For the sake of your little Sylvia, whom I will cherish as if she were my own, be my wife. For your sake, be my wife. For my sake, be my wife. I am very sorry, Dudley, but I cannot. Cannot give up this life you have chosen? Oh, Mary, what a mistake! What a waste! A mistake, perhaps? I may be too weak a woman, mind and body, to fight the great battle for my sisters. But a waste? No. Why, if I'd dropped in the effort to raise those who are slighted, ignored, misunderstood, the effort to put upon a conspicuous pillar intellects whose light would illumine the whole world, if I'd dropped in my struggle to do this, it would be a sacrifice, not a waste. A woman's only battles should be those of her husband. The intellect she should develop are those of her children. Ah, all you find in this new life is mere buzz and noise, forgetfulness of the wretched years of your mistaken marriage. Mr. Silchester! If the task you have undertaken is so fit and so noble, 
why isn't your daughter sylvia by your side to share it sylvia my dear little sylvia why isn't she under your wing i think a young girl needs a different atmosphere i mean lady gillingham was going to italy and offered to i thought it best that lady gillingham should oh sylvia has no troubles to forget i am right then and if you are if what i am searching for is but a sort of intoxication an oblivion how could you with your reminder of the past help me by devoting myself to you by loving away the memory of your misfortunes lady vivash after hiding her face for a moment dudley he stands by her side she looks up to him and takes his hand thank you dear old friend but it is so impossible don't you love me at all yes i do love you but don't you guess that i can't forget philip lister philip lister ah oh, dudley brother if you will be that it is years ago but i loved philip so well eighteen years ago and oh the freshness of it all to-day you parted not friends a boy and girl quarrel with the girl in the wrong he was tender chivalrous sensitive i wilful capricious cruel he left england i heard so and then came my sin heaven forgive me marrying another to spite the man my temper had driven away from me you suffered i deserved it child as i was i deserved it but he so beyond me why should i have ruined his life there dudley is the misery that destroys my peace the news of my marriage must have reached him in some foreign country i can see it coming to him without a word of warning through some newspaper i can hear his bitter cry of contempt for the girl he had loved sometimes i think he must be dead and i picture him dying lonely uncared for and sometimes i think he lives on old broken a misanthrope the name of woman the only jest to draw a smile from him <sighs> she turns away crying ah oh, so that's your answer mary my old friend philip still stands between you and me still always enter patch with a telegram a telegram please dudley takes it from the salver i beg your pardon lady vivash giving the telegram to lady vivash patch goes out lady vivash reads the telegram oh nothing wrong i hope wrong no brushing the tears from her eyes listen listen it is from victoria you know lady gillingham it says our letters written to you at san remo just discovered at the bottom of a trunk never posted we are home shall come on to you dudley my sylvia my little girl is in london and i didn't know advise me what shall i do shall i go to lady gillingham's i may miss them 
they may not be there i want to see sylvia so badly stamping her foot dudley you don't tell me what to do dudley shaking his head oh you strong-minded woman i'm not i mean i haven't seen her for so long they're sure to be here almost directly what am i to do till almost directly there's the committee downstairs oh and your speech to prepare for tonight i can't think of anything now but sylvia no and it is from this material that we are to mould our cabinet ministers of the future the door opens and mrs boylechewton mr bargus and rhoda enter my dear mary you are forgetting the business of to-day entirely i've had a telegram from lady gillingham indeed the committee think it advisable lady gillingham and sylvia are in london very sudden the committee think that you and mr bargus they have been found at the bottom of a trunk lady gillingham and sylvia uh, no no then who has been found at the bottom of a trunk their letters advising me of their return home how careless the committee never posted fancy my dear mary lady vivash handing mrs boylechewton the telegram there it is mrs boylechewton taking the telegram without reading it thank you the committee have expressed an opinion oh do read the telegram mrs boylechewton reads the telegram lady vivash to rhoda you'll be friends with my sylvia won't you her pet name is gossamer she is so light and bright and merry bright and merry i've never heard of such negligence returning the telegram women like lady gillingham are our stumbling blocks oh for more concrete minds mr bargus will you explain to lady vivash the committee suggests that we compare the salient features of our speeches lady vivash to avoid a collision of ideas i shall be delighted lady vivash absently as she re-reads the telegram quite so yes certainly shall i rapidly float over the surface of my intentions or will you 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 first please thank you producing a roll of paper the question is in a nutshell the position of woman is a social anomaly two women wouldn't travel all night from paris to london would they oh i beg your pardon quite so i ask of what is woman capable sleeping at dover rising early and catching the first train to town that's what they've done pardon me lady vivash i don't see no of course i haven't shown it to you have i handing him the telegram lady gillingham's telegram but this doesn't say anything about the meeting you don't read it we shall meet here but the union of independent women oh don't bother about that enter patch lady gillingham and miss vivash sylvia 
Sylvia. Bargus retires in astonishment. Sylvia, a pretty, simple, fair-haired girl about seventeen, dressed very lightly and tastefully, runs on and is clasped in Lady Vivash's arms. Lady Gillingham, a handsomely dressed woman of thirty-three or thereabouts, with an elegant carriage and pleasing manner, following. Petch goes out. Oh, my dear little gossamer, oh, how pretty you look, my sweet. Kissing Lady Gillingham. Victoria, dear, how are you? What a surprise you give me. Lady Gillingham, Sylvia, you have met Mrs. Boyle Chewton, haven't you? You both know Mr. Silchester. Rhoda, this is Sylvia. The two girls look at each other with curiosity. Sylvia, putting out her hand shyly. How do you do? Rhoda takes her hand, then turns to Dudley. What luck some girls have, Uncle Dud. Sylvia to Lady Vivash. Mama, how strange you all look. Mrs. Boyle Chewton, with a heave of resignation. I think I had better hear Mr. Bargus's plans for tonight. I fancy some of us are not sufficiently sympathetic towards Mr. Bargus. To Bargus. Will you walk into the garden? That will enable Lady Vivash to chat over lighter matters with Lady Gillingham. Mrs. Boyle Chewton and Bargus go out through the window, and are seen at intervals walking up and down and conversing earnestly. Lady Gillingham, quietly, to Lady Vivash. Send Sylvia away. I want to speak to you. Is anything wrong? I hope you won't think so. Rhoda, will you show Sylvia the garden? Rhoda and Sylvia go towards the window. Sylvia catching sight of the printed bill. Oh, what's that? Is Mama going to sing at a concert? Lady Vivash, stamping her foot. Oh! Dudley to Lady Vivash. I'll explain nicely. He follows Rhoda and Sylvia out into the garden. My dear Mary, I'm afraid you will be very angry with me. What has happened? Something very dreadful. All very pleasant, just as you take it. Oh, Victoria. You entrusted dear little Gossamer to my charge, and I need not tell you that I have tried to do my duty. Yes, yes, yes. You know, dear, they say love laughs at locksmiths. That he may do, but he certainly ignores chaperones. Love? What do you mean? I knew you would be angry. But it is not my fault. Gossamer is in love, dear. There. Gossamer in love. Gossamer in love. And of course somebody is in love with her. Oh yes, dear, of course. That happened first. Who? Who is it? There, Mary, you've upset me with your first question. Who is it? I suppose from an old-fashioned point of view, I ought to say nobody. But Lord Gillingham says that nowadays everybody with a coat and waistcoat is somebody, especially if he be an American. And this gentleman is an American. An American? Yes, from Vermont. 
But he doesn't, of course, whittle a stick or do those amusing things we read about. Have you ever heard of Ira Lee, the American poet? I don't know. I dare say I can't remember. Get him from Mudie's, Mary, at once. Gossamer's lover is Ira Lee. We met him in Florence at Mrs. Rock Savage's. Of course he was smitten with Sylvia. Everyone has been, from a Charing Cross porter to the Pope. But she... she... She was only interested at first, till she read his poetry, and then... Well, get him from Mudie's. I heard a portion of his history. Quite romantic. Some time ago he banished himself out west into the Colorado mountains, leading a sort of camp life with some horribly rough outcast people. Fancy, Mary. A thing I couldn't do. Then he wrote plaintive verses about the wrongs of the Indians and their loves, until an enterprising person came along and bought his poetry or borrowed it, I forget which, and published it in New York. And there they christened him the Poet of the Prairies. And now he's rich, and I suppose has had enough of the Indians, who are a very untidy race, and he is seeing Europe. There, Mary, what do you think of it all? Bargus is seen rehearsing his speech to Mrs. Boyle Chewton outside the window. Tell me... Tell me what you have done. Well, dear, I have done what I consider the very wisest thing. I have done nothing. Mr. Lee gave me to understand that he admired Sylvia. She gave me to understand that she loved Mr. Lee. I said, very well then, we'll go home. And he? He said, do, and I'll follow you. Oh, what shall I do? See him, dear. See him? He's most anxious to do everything in forma. What is it? Not pauperis. Proprietas. In forma proprietas. See him, and accept him or reject him. Sylvia, Rhoda and Dudley appear outside the window. Reject him, yes. But, Sylvia... Why, at the worst, it is only a child's first love. Nothing more. It need be nothing more. Oh, I know what the child's first love means to the grown woman. Sylvia re-enters the room. Mama, won't you? She stops suddenly, looking into Lady Vivash's face. Lady Gillingham has been speaking to you about me. Yes, dear. I... I am so sorry, Mama. Sorry? So sorry that... that Mr. Lee cannot get to London until Wednesday. Lady Gillingham goes to Rhoda and Dudley outside in the garden. Lady Vivash, drawing Sylvia to her and stroking her head. Do you really love him, Gossamer? I think I do, really. And if I told you that it is impossible, absurd, that a child's first foolish fancy is to be checked, laughed at, and forgotten, what then? Then I should know you were not in earnest. Not in earnest? No, 
Mamma, do you remember once when you were in bitter trouble, taking me upon your lap and telling me of your first love? Gossima, yes. Of someone who came to Burgess, painting, just before you left your school, some friend of Mr. Silchester's? Yes. He followed you to London. You loved him, Mamma dear. You told me so. <sighs> yes. But one day, in a fit of jealousy, you sent him away from you, and you never saw him again. Never again. But, Sylvia, you said to me, a woman's first love is her religion. If its object be worthy, it will sanctify her whole life. And, Mama, that is why I know you will let me go on loving Mr. Lee. My darling, my darling with a cry of tenderness pressing sylvia to her patch enters with a small bundle of letters upon a salver lady gillingham's carriage lady gillingham re-entering the room oh how time flies mary i must catch the two o'clock train to ketterby i have promised to fetch lord gillingham up to town patch giving letters to dudley who has come into the room your servant has just brought these letters, sir, in case you might not return home till late. Thank you. Petch goes out as Bargus comes in, followed by Mrs. Boyle Tewton. Lady Gillingham to Lady Vivash. Do let me take Sylvia with me to Ketterby. Oh, no, no. We have been so long parted. My dear Mary, we shall return to town on Wednesday, the day after tomorrow. In my opinion, on the eve of our great meeting, even the society of her daughter is a most dangerous distraction to Lady Vivash. I think so, too. And I've a delicious plan in my head. On Wednesday night, Lord Gillingham and I have some friends and some music at Kensington. All sorts of dear, nice people. You will come, of course, Mary. Um, on Wednesday night, we have a financial committee. And if dear Mrs. Boyle Tewton will dispense with ceremony and bring her daughter? Hmm. I shall be glad to carry my opinions and convictions into alien circles. Thank you, Lady Gillingham. Lady Gillingham to Dudley. Mr. Silchester, I depend on you too, and... Mrs. Boyle Tewton, introducing Mr. Bargus. Lady Gillingham, my friend and associate, Mr. Clarence Bargus, member for the Skipping Moulton Division of Cuddleford. And perhaps Mr. Bargus? Mr. Bargus will be very happy. Oh, very happy, uh, delighted. To himself, with an eye on Lady Gillingham. Exceedingly pretty woman. <laughs> Tush. I'll send cards to you all tonight quietly to lady vivash mary mr ira lee will be there he reaches london on wednesday morning don't you see my scheme you will be able to survey him before he makes his first advances petrie enters lady gillingham's coachman says he can only just get to the station in time oh dear my husband hasn't seen me for four months he'll think it's so odd if i miss the train Kissing Lady Vivash. Goodbye, Mary. I may have Sylvia, may I not? Lady Vivash embraces Sylvia passionately. Goodbye, everybody. Till Wednesday. Goodbye. 
Goodbye. Goodbye. Sylvia. Going to the door, Sylvia running after her. Sylvia. Sylvia returns to Lady Vivash, who embraces her again. Gossamer, you won't forget me, your mother, will you? Oh, Mama, dear. Lady Gillingham impatiently. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Sylvia, going. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Lady Gillingham and Sylvia go out, followed by Petch. And now, if Lady Vivash's mind is quite clear, Mr. Bargus will resume. The question is, in a nutshell, of what is woman capable? Woman is... Dudley, who has been opening and reading his letters. Good heavens! To Bargus. I beg your pardon. Allow me one moment. Really, Dudley? Dudley, softly to Lady Vivash, who has dropped thoughtfully into a chair. Lady Vivash, Mary, I'm a poor unlucky devil, but I'm not so wrapped up in myself that I can't feel glad at bringing you this good news. Good news? Strange news. Philip Lister is living. Living? And in England, or will be almost directly. Handing her a letter. Look. <gasps> Philip's writing. Read it. Lady Vivash, trying to read the letter. I can't. I can't make it out. Tell me what he says. She returns the letter. Dudley stands by her side. She sits staring forward eagerly. It is written from Paris yesterday. My dear Dudley, the dead return to life. I have come into your world again, changed, another man, but still your friend as of old, if you will have it so. I don't quite know the hour of my reaching England, but I do know that I am to burst upon London society next Wednesday night at a party at Lord Gillingham's. <sighs> come to me at Stark's Hotel at latest the day following. Philip Lister. At Lord Gillingham's? Lady Gillingham didn't mention. She doesn't know that Philip and I were ever acquainted. Philip, come back. Come back, yes. I think, Mary, I shall go to Palermo after all. To Bargus. I beg your pardon. Now, Mr. Bargus. The question is in a nutshell. Of what is woman capable? Mary, pray listen. Is this superficial sentiment, which is so popular, called love, to be the only? Come back. Come back. Mary. I, I can't remain. I, I am going out. Going out? To Madame Lisette's. To Madame Lisette's? Not the dressmaker? Yes, I... I must look something like my old self on Wednesday night. She rushes out. They look after her in consternation. End of Act One <laughs>